Welcome to Play, Learn, Teach. We bring early childhood educators together to ask questions about raising children in these challenging times. This episode has been sponsored by OLA. Our Certificate 3 and Diploma courses teach early childhood through the head, heart and hand. If you want to sing, dance and craft every day, talk to us about careers in early childhood education. So welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Play, Learn, Teach podcast. Um, If you're tuning in via Apple or Spotify, please visit ignitemindscomau slash podcasts where you'll find additional commentary, links and resources. If you scroll to the bottom of the episode, you can also ask questions and tell us your thoughts. We really love hearing from you. Thank you so much for all your feedback from last week. Last episode, we gave a brief overview of the early years learning frameworks being, belonging and becoming through the adult lens of head, heart and hand. In this episode, we'll be taking a deeper dive into the idea of becoming which is a tenant of transformation, of willing things into being. It speaks of the human capacity to transform the world through their hands. A CEQA has published that children's identities, knowledge, understandings, capacities, skills and relationships change during their childhood. They are shaped by many different events and circumstances. Becoming reflects this process of rapid and significant change that occurs in the early years as young children learn to grow. It emphasizes learning to participate fully and actively in society. When you keep planting trees, you become a gardener. When you keep marking paper with colors, you become an artist. When you keep building things, you become an engineer. Or when you play music, you become a musician. Becoming recognizes the effort of transformation and the reward of being engaged in doing things. Children, like adults, get great pleasure from fashioning tangible matter, wood, clay, metal or fibre, into enduring objects. The making of craft calls a symphony of human capacities that are intrinsically fulfilling to the craftsperson because an essential nature of humanity is to engage in a world of things and develop a capacity to think with things. Intimate knowledge of a keyboard, a knife, an oven, fleece, dressmaking shears, a paintbrush, a spanner or any tool of your trade extends your body by extension of that tool into a world of interacting things. This requires a level of physical coordination that can only come through practice and commitment and character qualities such as focus, patience and perseverance. Most adults will not argue with the notion that these are good qualities to develop in children. These are also good qualities for humanity. Educators are called to interpret the world of things and how they can be instrumental in the social, emotional, physical and spiritual development of children. Early childhood educators must develop their hand skills. They become master craftspeople, bringing forth their symphony of human potential, developing an intimate connection and knowledge of the world of objects, and then building bridges between these objects and each child to develop and extend the child's mastery of world. Carol, as an artist, educator, dancer, coach and mentor, someone who works with your hands and seen many decades of education and who has lived through apartheid, who has worked with some challenging children and challenging adults, can you talk a little bit about how people learn and connect through their hands and what this means for education? Mm, You've said so much, Ujwal, that I appreciate and um, inspires me in so many ways um, because I am passionate about how connecting with my hands to the world connects me to myself and then to the whole. 
cosmos and the earth. And um, so I have uh, experienced how uh, one of the key things as an adult educator, because that's what I've been for more of my life, has been um, how do people get motivated? Uh, it's one of these kind of painful questions that you hear in universities and technical colleges and so on, is why are people so disengaged and why are they disconnected from what we're doing and from learning and feel inadequate? And in a, during apartheid, of course, people were really disabled by the political situation and the racial divide and so on. And so that was a very burning question for me. And I must say that I found by in, engaging people in working with materials, with their hands, encouraging them, supporting them, um, having humor about it was the way to actually turn on that light inside that made them feel motivated and they wanted to learn about things. I think the other thing is that materials really talk back to you and tell you what works and what doesn't work. And so you don't need any criticism or assessment from the outside world or from people uh, because the materials will tell you what they don't want and what they want. And so what happens is that you get very curious about how this works. What I have noticed very much, and I think we all do, is when little children begin to move across the floor, little kind of tiny children, they are moved because of their curiosity. If you put a little ball in front of them, just in front where they can't reach, they want to reach it. And that's what motivates them to actually move their bodies and find a way to slide across. And so curiosity is what motivates us to learn. And I think that's a key thing about how do we motivate each other, motivate ourselves, is to take an interest and become curious about things. Thank you, Carol. Um, I really like what you have to say about curiosity. I certainly see, um, you know, curiosity is a great enabler for all learners, adult and children alike. Um, and it also, it talks to this idea of, of potential. You know, when you're curious and you're exploring and you're looking at something uh, and you're wanting to find out and engage, uh, you're, you're becoming, you know, it's, it's a willing and transformative process. Um, and it can give us a lot of insight into our behavior and to children's behavior, which is a wellspring of creative material and opportunity for learning. Um, last episode, we yeah. touched a bit on this idea of opportunity versus deficit model, you know, where the educator does not seek to fix problem behaviors, but to incorporate these behaviors, temperaments, attitudes, and expressions into this harmonious whole, you know, where we create a synergy with the world. Um, as you mentioned, Carol, um, yes. these ideas are all very connected. And when we think of the will, we often think of challenging behaviors like, you know, my child is particularly strong-willed or I have a willful child. Uh, do you just want to add a little bit about um, what you mean when you're talking about uh, willing? Yes, I think, I mean, the interesting thing, it's about intention and it's mostly unconscious and it's very unconscious in little children and they have what we, we sometimes refer to as a kind of instinctive unconscious will to learn, to manage their limbs, to crawl, to walk, 
to run. These things are magical. If the child is healthy, reasonably healthy, that's what they will learn to do, which is incredible. So that that really is the will. It's the will to survive. It's it's connected to the immune system, which is profound. And um, now more and more people are talking about the gut brain. And they're recognizing that if the gut isn't in a good balance, it actually affects the way we think. So from the unconscious, deeply unconscious, to the conscious in thinking. So the will is really unconscious, and that's why it's so mysterious. And it's often um, makes us a little bit crazy trying to understand why people do what they do or why children do what they do. When anybody says to me, by the way, and I know uh, we'd love to hear Jake about this, my child is particularly strong-willed, I just celebrate that. And I think, my God, that child will survive. The best thing is just not to crush that will, because that is um, a marker of this child's ability to move through challenges and difficulties. This episode has been sponsored by dragonflytoys.com.au. Play experiences that are beautiful, enchanting, strong and safe, environmentally friendly and fairly traded. Carol is my teacher, of course, and I did Carol's course, Nourishing Early Childhood. And at the same time, I read a really good book called The Challenge of the Will. It's Experiences with Young Children by Margaret Mayercourt and Rudy LaSalle and and there's a little paragraph here which forms my approach to working with children and their will. It's, it's, the paragraph goes, We consciously shape the sequence and mood of our ordinary daily activities, creating order and strengthening the child's confidence in the world, because what is expected does actually happen. So what happens is, is good. And this sort of framed my approach from the very beginning of my um, family daycare experience and uh, the service that I run. And uh, yeah, like Carol says, the, the children come with these wonderful uh, impulses uh, in the will. Um, and uh, the job is to try, uh, try and work with that, uh, the, some of the unconscious behavior and bring consciousness to it, but, but also acknowledging the strength and uh, beauty and power in, in, that, uh, in the will, because it is it's, it's a, like a divine source of energy. And, so a good example uh, for me, the one that always comes up is I had a, had a little boy who uh, he, he was two years old, which is often the time when this, uh, uh, the will becomes uh, a challenge, if you like. Uh, it's when there's more consciousness becoming involved in unconscious behavior. So uh, to get to the point, uh, this boy was often pulling hair. He would pull hair uh, of random children in the playground, pull hair of uh, children in the sandpit. If he sat next to a child in, in my care, he, would, he, he just couldn't help but pulling their hair. And he would pull it uh, to the point that it would hurt and the other child would, would cry and uh, get quite upset. And it, this went on for long enough. Sometimes these things just, you know, they grow out of it, you say, or, or, or um, it, they just get over it, or is it just a developmental leap? This went on for a, a, a long enough that it became a bit of a problem. So um, obviously the parents had tried the head approach. So uh, no, I don't want you to pull hair. I can't let you pull hair. I won't let you. It's hurting the other child. They'd explain it in all kinds of ways. And they, they'd explain it to the child's head uh, maybe like 10 or 12 times a day. And, and I would do the same. I would say, I, I can't let you pull hair. It's, it's hurting the other child. You can see they're upset. 
And um, this became quite frustrating for carers and, and parents. And uh, me and the parents had a, had a bit, of, bit of a chat in the end after a couple of months of, of this. And uh, we, we, so we, we took a different approach. We looked at what the child was doing. He was, you know, he, he wanted that sensation of pulling something and uh, that the tangibility of the hair, which is, you know, often quite beautiful. He, he, you could see that he would look at the hair and become mesmerized by it and just have to touch it. And then once he was touching it, he'd have to pull it. He just wanted, he just had to do it. It wasn't a choice. It was an impulse uh, through his will. So what I did is uh, we were into felting because Carol had taught uh, me felting skills. And uh, I had a tennis ball that was felted. So it was quite a large felted ball. And into that, um, I uh, needle felted more fleece, like quite a long strands of fleece. And when you um, pull fleece uh, apart, uh, this is an experience that I had in... Carol's course, uh, pulling the felt apart uh, to make shorter strands of um, roving uh, fleece, uh, it's quite, uh, it's very satisfying. So you, you're touching the fleece, it's beautiful, there's color to it, and when you pull it apart, it has this beautiful feeling, like a soft release. I think that was what this child was trying to achieve. So I felt, I had a big tennis ball, felt a tennis ball, nice and soft, had the tangibility, the, that, that feeling to it, felt a big uh, strands of fleece into it too, so there was, it was like a crazy head of hair in fleece form and uh, and we would throw it up I would throw it to the child he would throw it back and he just went crazy for it he you know he was super excited about it he was pulling it, he was throwing it and uh, I sent it home with him and uh, the parents took photos of him still playing all the way up to bedtime that night and then all day the next day just throwing it up pulling the fleece uh, it didn't matter then you know he could pull it as much as he wanted if he pulled it all apart it could easily be uh, needle felted back together again for for another round, but um, but I uh, absolutely kid you not. After a week, um, he was done. <laughs> he had pulled the pulled uh, it enough, and he had satiated that desire that uh, that willful energy had been uh, fulfilled, and he could then move on. And honestly, after that, he did not pull anyone else's hair, and uh, that was a good success story I found, and it's about acknowledging. Uh, where the child is at, um, how you can work with the child through through his hands in this case, and um, and really empathising with what they are trying to achieve. Um, it's so interesting to hear that lovely example, Jake. And for those of us who are involved in uh, working with children in this way, it's it's always magical. You kind of you know, our first thing is always to go into the rational mind and think out solutions. And then if we let go of that and we really observe and take an interest, we begin and without judgment, that's important, is what is this child actually doing besides annoying us and annoying other children? It's really what is he doing and then what can I, how can I meet that need or that impulse that he has? Um, I always find I'm surprised uh, and it's it, I know about that and yet I'm still so surprised at the magic of the transformation that happens when you respond to the needs. I think a really important thing about children finding their own will, you know, he's got a will of his own or, you know, he's not going with me the way he used to. I used to have this angelic child and the child would just acquiesce to everything because they, you know, they were not walking yet. But of course, once the child can move, they experience their freedom. And I think that's often a challenge for adults and parents is that suddenly this child has freedom and is not actually doing what I want. 
And I think that that is a really important threshold for adults is to let go of the will, wanting to control and say, ah, the child has a motivation of its own. It's moving in a different direction. It has desires it's following or impulses it's following. It might not suit me at all. And how do I adjust and basically learn from it while keeping the child reasonably safe? And how do I help parents um, come to that place? Because this happens through all the thresholds through childhood. Every time the child defies us, let's say, or wants to do what they want, um, there's that tussle within. And we know we don't want to go head to head with children. Uh, it's not a fair situation at all. And so it's really how do I support this child and how do I celebrate this emerging being, talking about being, it's, uh, there's a being coming through and it's it's got a personality and a character that I didn't see when it was this whole little angelic baby. Now it's suddenly I'm seeing a character emerging and I might not even like it. I might find it really irritating. Um, and so for adults, again, it's this thing of getting over ourselves and what we want and celebrating this change and taking an interest and being curious. So again, that curiosity, what is happening here? What can I learn and how can I support this child? Um, and I think um, working with the hands, just to get back to that whole thing, for adults, it's so beneficial to work with the hands. And that's why I think it's so lovely to work with young children because of that energy of exploring and open play and freedom. Um, if we can give ourselves that opportunity um, we also begin to calm down, begin to connect with ourselves and materials and the world. And I think in the so-called isolation period we're going through, um, I'm seeing people around me everywhere doing much more work with their hands, making things, gardening, connecting with their hands because they are not involved in such a fractious um, life anymore for many. So I think it's a really uh, vital aspect of being a human being. Carolyn, you were talking a bit about this need to follow uh, a child's interest and to really be present to them and to put aside or get out of the way as, a, as, a, as an adult, you know, put aside your own needs and desires. And I think that's a really clear and really strong message. But I also want to talk a little bit about, you know, how do you do that when you have to go to work and you've got to drop your child at, at uh, eight o'clock in the morning at your educator's home and, and you're, you know, you're worried about um, how, how that child is going to transition into care. So you're, you're, you're forcing a world upon them, but you're also wanting to do it in a way that is on their terms so that they can embrace it. You know, and I think what we can really come to is how, you know, exploring this idea of, of um, becoming and how, you know, we construct our environment and we construct our world through interacting with it through our hands, uh, you know, we can really seek to unpack how a child, you know, will climb down off, off their parent, you know, from clinging closely, um, you know, maybe the parent and child are sitting on the floor, um, having a chat with the educator and and the environment becomes more comfortable and then the child begins to reach out and explore and crawl and pick up objects and 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 have a feel of the environment at the educator's home and then you know that they're beginning to arrive and they're beginning to feel like they belong now obviously this is is uh, tenuous 
at the beginning because there's a whole lot of trust and, and other things which have to happen. But um, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience of transition, Jake? Yes, thanks. Um, so I look at transitions as uh, connecting to uh, the other parents, actually, in, in what I, uh, I describe as an orbit. So we're in like a, a solar system and, uh, you know, I'm my own planet over here at Jake's fam family daycare and the parents are having their own little orbit over there with their child in their home. And we come together where in this transition when the child is being dropped off and uh, as we come together there's, you know, there's a bit of tension or uh, anxiety or there's a merging of energies there which can create uh, friction and, and this is all picked up by the child who, the children who are very sensitive, uh, especially in early childhood. So uh, what I, how I describe it and what I do on a daily basis is I move as, you know, as close as possible to the parent whilst they're holding the child who may still be feeling uh, anxious, you know, clinging to their own uh, world, their own orbit or, or their own planet. And I come closer, you know, in, in a very uh, subtle way. And then we start talking. And this is what everyone does on a daily basis. Hi, how are you? I'm good. What did you do on the weekend? Oh, we did this. How was that? And, you know, some of these uh, the conversations that we have with people are just, just about creating that connection. Just, you know, sometimes it's a bit meaningless. It feels meaningless, but we're actually coming together. We're, we're talking, we're emulating each other's uh, voice and tone, and we're sympathizing with each other empathizing with each other's experiences and bringing our worlds closer together. And then as, as a, a carer, as an educator, I bring my world and closer to the child's world. And uh, through the head, I would explain what we're going to do today. Oh, I've got this child here and this child and today we're going to do we're going to make our pancakes and we're going to go to the park we'll, I'll tell you a story and then we'll have a nap and then afternoon tea and mum will come in the afternoon to pick you up and that, that gives them a framework for their head to work with in the hand in the heart I can connect to them I can say oh that's a lovely teddy bear you've brought over um, what's his name and they'll have an emotional connection and then with the hands, what I'll do is uh, at the right point, there'll be a crossover between, between worlds, between planets. And uh, that, that you've got to sort of get in at the right moment where you can take uh, care of the child. If, if they're still um, not walking, then, you know, you'd be picking the child up and then you would slowly drift into this new orbit. And, um, and the child will hopefully be prepared uh, for that by then, given that they've... Uh, it, through the head, they're understood what they what world they're coming into. Through the heart, we've made that heart connection, and then with the hands, I'm picking them up, and we're taking them, and we're 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 getting engaged with uh, with this new environment uh, almost immediately. So if it's with the pancakes, they'll feel the warm pancakes and and um, and eat them and and watch the other children, or there might be a craft activity first up, and this is where I find um, the learning that I've uh, um, completed with organisational learning. Australia and Carol and um, and also the products that you can uh, get through Dragonfly Toys, the, the quality Steiner products that you can buy. Um, you can use these these quality products to engage with the children in that environment. So beeswax modeling is really beautiful. Um, the, the clay that you can play with uh, is really lovely and it really grounds them in, in the smell and the sense uh, experience of, of my world in, in, in the family daycare environment. And so there's a practice that you can learn and I learned it through OLA um, of engaging the children 
uh, in this world through the head heart hands and it really works it just takes uh, uh, more engagement than uh, normal it takes uh, an awareness and an interaction and so f uh, on another example often parents will tell me through uh, an app, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll communicate stories of what they did on the weekend. So at the, at the door, I can say, oh, did you go to the, uh, the farm? Or, or did you visit the, the beach house? Or did you go, I heard you went to the zoo, how was that? So there's already that connection. We're, we're connected all the time. Um, so there is a complete package which really helps uh, with these issues, like this specific issue like uh, separation anxiety. That's really beautiful, Jake. What I'm hearing you say is that um, you can do exactly what um, Carol is suggesting. You can be present for the child and you can help them engage on their terms, even though um, sometimes the choices that are in front of them may not appear like choices. And I guess that's, that's a real lesson for us as adults too. You know, often we uh, engage in a world where we are we take on roles and we have to do things which uh, we may not be consciously willing ourselves to do. Uh, we have to drag ourselves to those points. But uh, if we can be present to ourselves and present to the children, then there is a way of, of really enabling these tiny little meta moments where uh, the children can engage on their terms and can uh, become of themselves. That's right. And um, this is where educators really do become master craftspeople. It's a craft that you can learn uh, and it's what uh, Organisational Learning Australia teaches and, and Carol's been teaching me for seven years. It's, it's a real craft and a skill and um, uh, in the sense that you're bringing forth this, uh, this symphony of human potential and you're creating this intimate connection and the knowledge of the world through objects like, like uh, clay and beeswax and, and fleece and felting and, and you're bringing all this together for, for the purpose of um, reaching out to each child and uh, extending the child's mastery of the world. Hmm. I really uh, love what Jake and Ujval say, uh, mentioning the word trust. I think it's really important and I think this is, when I think about trust, uh, my nervous system calms down. And working with my hands and engaging with the world as an adult brings me into calmness and well-being. Uh, it's so important to have these moments where you actually forget about time and intellectual issues and pressures and just sink into engagement. Um, this is a very therapeutic process and it builds a kind of trust in our being. And I think more importantly is when adults bring their children is it's important for them to trust the decision they've made. They've made a good one for their child. Obviously, they wouldn't do it if they didn't have trust. And to rest back in, I trust that what I've done for my child is the right thing and I know he will find his way and the adult educator will support him. And when they, their nervous systems can calm down, the children are immediately affected for the better for that. So I think these are all vital uh, issues around well-being, connection to the world and engagement in a very positive way. So what I'm hearing both of you say, Jake and Carol, is that we can really engage more with our own environments and by being master craftspeople and learning to understand 
the textures and the materials of our world on a very intimate way and to allow them to become an extension of our body and, and an extension of our expression, we can then use these expressions to um, engage children on their terms and to help them understand the world in a way which um, brings forth their curiosity and helps them um, to be more confident and more engaged with our services. So um, I really think we can't underestimate the value of, of belonging and of the role of our, of our hands when we think about how we engage with the world and we find our people and we, we construct our environment. You know, I've always felt like there is some really core ingredients um, in education. You know, there's the sandpit, there's the shade, there's the outdoor space, there's the indoor space, there's a little kitchen corner, there's a mud kitchen, there's somewhere to sleep, there's a story time corner. All these core ingredients are physical objects which create and demand a certain level of engagement through the body and through the hand and through the will. Uh, which are there to support the education process and to um, bring children into this world in a way that is on their terms and will help them to grow. This episode has been sponsored by Ignite Minds. We teach play-based learning from within our nourishing homes under the family daycare umbrella. Inspired educators join our team. This podcast was produced by The Jones Collective, thejonescollective.com.au. Chat to us today about your podcast.